0: Dan Castle, our executive pastor during this interim season, asked us on the pastoral staff a prophetic question this past Monday. I've been thinking about it all week long. Who taught you gratitude? Who first taught you the lessons of being grateful and being generous? And we went around the room and we told our stories And what I said in response, I mean, I was thinking of several mentors of generosity and gratitude in my life. But when it came my turn, I answered the church. The church has taught me generosity. And I thought about that liturgical, high, Old South Methodist church I grew up in. And I was an acolyte like these beautiful children. That's one of the reasons my Sabbath worship has to do focusing on those children because it brings back that reasonable service that I did when I was their age. Started in about age six, I can feel, I've told you before, Paul Matheson's dark, heavy, robed arm around my shoulder pulling close. He would climb up into an elevated pulpit. And I would lead to the, the choir in and we'd light the altar candles to the side. It was, it was a high church, sort of old Anglican Episcopalian Methodism. Not this free church Methodism out here in Texas. <laughs> and I sang, this is my father's world and it was taught me by Mrs. Roberts and Mrs. Thorndyke, my early primary Sunday school teachers. And I can picture that Sunday school room in the Gadsden Street Church and those old women giving me that big old bosomy hug and I can smell that lilac perfume <laughs> to this day. Too much information, right? This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought. Who taught you lessons of generosity? Fast forward, I was pastor of the West Point Baptist Church in Matanzas, Kentucky. And I've told stories about that little Country Church, I inherited 35 members, and when I left five years later, we had 42 members. I said it was the most explosive growth in the entire Southern Baptist Convention. I made $100 a week. I remember my father asking me, and I said, son, let me make sure I got this straight. You've been to four years of college and three years of seminary to earn a Master of Divinity degree. Is this all you're ever going to make, $100 a week? Foster James pulled me aside when I took that pastorate and he said, here's what you do, young man. Here's $100, you give $10 to the church, that's a tithe. And if you don't tithe, nobody else can be expected to tithe. Very direct. Teaching me lessons of generosity. I remember this church, my dear friend, Bill Kingsbury, we were involved in some kind of some kind of stewardship campaign or a capital campaign Bill's gone on to be with the Lord faithful, faithful members of this church very generous like so many of you in the life of this church I'm thinking of all these people who have gone on before us who have invested so brilliantly and so profoundly so that we can have this remarkable experience we're having at this very moment with these children and master teachers like Vicki and this choir and Marilyn and Larry and all of you incredible people. And I remember Bill submitting his pledge and then looking me in the eye and saying, now pastor, what are you going to give on this pledge campaign? Direct, personal, lovingly confrontational. And here we are, our teacher, our master teacher today, uh, gives us a parable about generosity. Mark read it, he walked past me, Mark McBrayer a moment ago, I said, holy cow, what a story. He shot back, I can't wait to see what you do with it. Because we're stewards of this story and here we are. Two thousand years later, once upon a time, there was a, there was a, a landowner or some kind, of, some kind of master. He was a slave owner. He went on a long journey. He entrusted his, his, his wealth to his slaves. To one he gave five talents, to another, to another uh, two talents. Uh, and they invested those talents. We don't know what a talent is we were talking about it between services scholars disagree exactly about what amount of money a talent was but it was a lot of money it was a financial sum some say uh, uh, many 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 times more than a denarius which was uh, a, a day's wage for a common laborer, maybe even 60 times so goodness gracious five talents is a lot of money in that day two talents is a lot of money in that day one talent is a whole lot of money the the uh, boss told the slaves here see what you can do with this the five talent guy went and invested it shrewdly we're not told how we don't know if he read the Wall Street Journal every day if he had some kind of brilliant financial planner and consultant or some kind of broker banker or whatever but the guy comes the boss comes back After a long time, the story says, and ten talents were presented to the master. And then the two-talent guy doubled the master's investment again and four talents. And the master says the same thing to both of these people. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy. Come on into this joy. Then the one talented guy said, "Ah, I've been smarter than them. I knew you were an exacting taskmaster. I knew you reaped where you did not sow. And you had a way of coming up with money while money grows on trees with you. So I didn't want to be, take the risk. I didn't want to be cavalier with your money. I went and dug a hole and I hid it. So that I could make sure I give your money back to you. Certainty, assurance, ironclad, locked down, sure thing. Give your money back. The master says, you idiot. You wicked slave. Get on out of here. You could have at least gone to the bank and drawn 2%, 3% in some kind of safe investment. Get on out of here where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. No joy for you. Y'all, we've got one master and we're all his slaves. and we are duty bound to that one master now I've just said a very counterintuitive sentence for our culture very countercultural assertion because we suffer from the myth of thinking we're in charge but we've got one master and it seems like that master is far away but that master is going to come and see what kind of steward we have been. And that master's on a wealth sharing plan. Unlike any other corporate owner, CEO, you're going to read in the Wall Street Journal. Why, that guy's into divestiture. He's taking all kinds of risks. And he's dealing us a hand. And he's giving us his wealth. And he's saying, See what you can do with it. We are stewards of all of this bounty. And here we are at this place in the life of this church at a critical juncture. I love this congregation. You know I do. I resonate with this congregation in a very special way. That's a gift from God. I don't know what all that's about. Partly because Jana grew up in this church. That has something to do with it, Doug and Sammy. And, you know, after I married Jana, even my detractors and opponents said, holy cow, I guess we got to make it work now. but chiefly because you're so absolutely brilliant. And we have a philosophy here and a theology that every member is a minister. And it's not about title. In that day, we didn't even call people. We had, goodness, 100 PhDs from Texas Tech University, but it was the custom of this church not to use titles because we wanted to be sort of radical, you know, egalitarians around here. I like that. And then there wasn't any such thing as a pecking order here. And it wasn't that the senior anybody gave charge and everybody else sort of fell in the line. No, we had one master. And all of us were equal, equally empowered to be that master's slaves. Understanding that God has dealt us a hand and given us a lot of God's wealth so that we go and reinvest it bravely, boldly, with a big old risk, creatively, lavishly, even absurdly sometimes. And all the great goodness came out of the life of this church. Some of you who are newer members did not know that this fellowship played a key role in starting the South Plains Food Bank. At a time when food banks in the communities were not common. And now every community has one. And this church played a key role in beginning Habitat for Humanity here in Lubbock. Even to the point where I remember when Jimmy Carter, President Carter, came and visited this affiliate. Because he wanted to see what was going on here. And this church played a key role in... Counseling and mental health at a time when no church anywhere of any denomination was doing that and started a counseling center. This church helped form the South Plains AIDS Resource Center in 1989 when people wouldn't even touch somebody with AIDS. And we went and held those young men's hands as they crossed over to be with the Lord God has invested powerfully in the life of this church. We think that Marilyn and Larry can just get up here effortlessly, just like breath, and do this miraculous thing. That this choir can just somehow get up here in the choir loft and out comes these incredible sounds, these handbell hand Ringers, Lord, I can't chew gum and walk at the same time. How on earth can they do all of that with such astonishing dexterity? Delinda, thank you. It's remarkable. And, and these children and all of the programs and all of the uh, array of reasonable service on behalf of the Lord I do believe that God is doubling our investment but here's I need to say a very candid word I need to say a very direct it seems to me that after three months now is the time to say it and I wouldn't be doing my call before God or with you if I didn't say it we need every single person here Now, that's a little tricky, speaking that to the people who are already here. I know that. And so I've got a little plan here. I'm making a list of folks that I have not seen. And I've got a list, and it's about 100 of them by this time. And I'm going to send a letter saying, We need you back. I know that it's not easy. I know that it's not comfortable. I know that somehow you feel like even to show up is to ratify something you don't agree with. I know you're going to see somebody in the hallway that you don't want to have to look at. I know all that stuff. But how are we going to heal this church without you? Don't go digging a hole over here and putting yourself in that hole. Come give the gift of yourself. And let's see if we can't have a multiplication factor going on. You may not think it to be much. I'm going to tell you it's much. And just to come right now, just to get up, put on your clothes, And get your carcass here is a beautiful, beautiful stewardship, I think. Let it be so. Let it be so now. I think of the little boy that had one part in the play. John Claypool used to tell this story. Somebody told him a long time ago. He had one part in the play, one line. And he practiced it and practiced it and practiced it as if he were the marquee actor. And time came for the play and he stepped forward and he said his line and he said it well. Not too early, not too late, not too loud, not too soft. He set his line and he said it well. We all have a line in God's drama and if we're not here To speak it. The production. Doesn't get. Done. You have a line. Come and say it. I think if we will do that. I'm going to send that letter out. I'm going to sign it. I'm going to say, dear Charlie, I need you. We need you. Come into the joy. I'm thinking about a grievance gratitude quotient right now. I've been noodling on this a little bit. You know, I said last week, for every time you see something that needs to be repaired in the life of the church, see something, go, go find a, a, a hallway that needs to be swept and do that. So I've been thinking about a grievance-gratitude quotient. And I think Jesus has given us some specific advice here. Let's have a gratitude times two for every grievance we have in the life of this church. And I think they're valid, like I said last week. I don't think they're invalid. I think they're changes we need to make. I got my list, you got your list. But for every grievance, let's see if we can double God's investment in us through gratitude that translates into goodness. We have one master. We are his slaves. He gives us an assignment. We do it. And he says, come on into the joy. That's where I want to be, and that's where you want to be too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all the people of God said.